Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. You may have noticed that perceptions are not always reality. You have heard the phrase, perception is reality, but that is not entirely true. (laughs) Yes, the, the point of the phrase is true. What people perceive to be true influences them. But just because something is perceived to be true doesn't actually make it true. One of the perceptions about the Democratic Party is that it is the party of the little guy. It is the party that stands against big business. It is the party that stands against big pharma. If if it were not for the, the liberal Democrats, individual people, particularly the, the weak of our society and, and small businesses, would be run over by big corporations. The, the, the free market system is a setup for big business and and the small mom and pop businesses just can't compete in that kind of system is kind of the the perception or the message that has been placed out there well this kind of perception even though it is perpetrated every day by the major media outlets it's it's just not true in fact the opposite is actually the reality this really came to light during the pandemic. Many states put into place lockdown measures, as you know. These measures made it impossible for many businesses to remain open. And if you were not considered essential, then you had to stay closed. And and who were the essential businesses? Well, big business chain stores. The, the, the states with the the hardest regulations and the hardest lockdowns are the blue states, even to this day. If the Democratic Party is, in reality, the party standing between big business and the little guy, then why are the onerous regulations hitting small businesses only? Well, in, in, a, in a great article by Antonio Chavez of The American Thinker, Uh, He says that there is a widespread perception that the Democratic Party is the party of the working class and the Republican Party is the party of big business, even though Republicans on average receive slightly more from corporate employees prior to 2002. The overall difference between both parties from 1990 and 2020 is statistically insignificant. In fact, Democrat Reliance on big labor gradually shifted toward big business following the involvement of solidly democratic corporate giants in 2002. And from 2014 to 2020, Democrats consistently surpassed Republicans in corporate donations. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Based on data compiled by Open Secrets, Soros... Right. Big shocker here, right? Soros Fund Management, FARA LLC, which is Tom Steyer's uh, corporation, and Bloomberg LP ranked among the top 10 for political contributions 
that gave over 90% to Democrats. In sharp contrast, the right-leaning Coke industries made the top 10 only in 2014. In nearly all other years, Coke ranked well below the top 20. Now, whether or not this trend is long-term, there is no denying that large corporations on average no longer lean right. But what does it mean to be the, the party of big business? Donations are not a definitive evidence. So what ultimately matters is that p- politicians do, wh- what, what do they do once they get elected, in other words? Well, many liberals believe that big business and, uh, and big government, um, that, that they are kind of contrary to, to um, you know, each other that big government is needed to rein in big business and that in the absence of federal intervention, corporations will just run roughshod, as I said, over the average American. Many liberals also believe that corporations are the main beneficiaries of laissez-faire economics and that free market conservatives who want to scale back regulations are somehow in the pocket of big business. Don't you hear that all the time? That, you know, if you're a free market conservative, boy, you are definitely for big business. Well, in reality, the opposite is true. Big business and big government go hand in hand because government melding and meddling in, in the uh, economy encourages rent sinking by businesses that can afford to pay for lobbyists. And when I say rent sinking, it means that there, these businesses are looking for handouts, corporate welfare. This crony capitalism grew exponentially as a result of the New Deal regulations that squeezed out uh, competitors during the 1930s. Establishment politicians and well-connected corporations are beneficiaries of the myth that big business and big government are adversaries because It hides their unholy alliance, to be honest. Free market conservatism benefits small business because the government does not pick the winners and the losers by means of subsidies and tax breaks and just, you know, cumbersome regulations. You will not see policies like these coming from Washington in a major way because Proposals for shrinking the federal government rarely see the light of day in Congress. They ju- it just doesn't happen. Based on data collected by Gallup and Thumbtack, red states far outscore blue states in small, in small business friendliness. This may be why less affluent Americans are fleeing states right now that score abysmally uh, like like California, Illinois, New York, Hawaii, these type of states. This might also be why small businesses and small business owners are more likely to vote Republican. I know small businesses don't vote, but you understand. Small businesses generate well over half of all new jobs. Most importantly, many are family owned, have strong ties to their communities, and provide upward mobility for millions of Americans who never attended college even. The Democrats' undermining of this quintessential American institution is shameful and disqualifies it as the party of the working class, in my opinion. 
contributions from big labor do not count toward labor friendliness because mega unions are more about recruitment than about the welfare of working Americans. This is why the SEIU supports blanket amnesty for illegal aliens. And I will even say that, you know, that I have said for a long time that the, the day of the union has passed. It, it just has not, not any longer really uh, a need for a big unions. Um, really, the, the only thing that I can see in recent times has been during the pandemic. And some of the unions, not all, but some of the unions actually are striking out against these vaccine mandates and things. And that's kind of a, a welcome sight. Now, it's, a, it's about big corporations here and, and what's best for them when it comes to the Democratic Party. Freedomworks.org actually said it really well when it said that one policy issue that should unify individuals of all political persuasions is opposing corporate welfare. Progressives tend to oppose big corporations while conservatives and liberal uh, libertarians despise big government. The truth is that big corporations and big government go hand in hand. The Washington Examiner writer Timothy Carney states that, quote, as the federal government has progressively become larger over the decades, even significant introduction of government regulation, taxation, and spending has been to the benefit of some big business, unquote. We must stand together and call for an end to all forms of corporate welfare. People often mistakenly assume that supporting free markets or that laissez-faire capitalism means being pro-business. But the, the, in, in French, laissez-faire literally translates to let do, which of course broadly means just simply leave it alone. True supporters of free markets advocate separating corporations from the state. So those of us that that want the free market type of system, we don't want government and the corporations in bed with each other. We don't want them having a, a, a relationship there where they benefit each other. This means rejecting any government handout, um, protection or special privilege even to, to any corporation. In, in a free society, businesses must sink or swim on their own merits. Every business must compete with each other through innovation or entrepreneurship. And we are pro-freedom, not necessarily pro-corporation. In fact, I saw just the other day where our government is giving all kinds of monies to these Native American casinos. And and they and they and it's all in the with with the, the 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 guise of they need to to um you know continue to to be a casino during this pandemic time well this is not something that our taxpayer dollars should be going to another <clears throat> popular misconception is that most corporations lobby for less government regulation That is far from the truth. In fact, big corporations generally lobby for 
more government regulations in their industry. I know this sounds weird, but in in reality, it's the case. The 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 big tobacco company, Philip Morris, aggressively lobbies for heightened federal regulation of tobacco products and advertising. <clears throat> Many companies, such as McDonald's, Starbucks, and Kraft, have spent millions of dollars lobbying for food safety regulation bills. And energy companies like Duke Power have lobbied for cap-and-trade programs that would benefit their bottom line at the expense of their customers, who would simply just face soaring electrical prices. Why do big corporations lobby for more regulations? Well, as Matt Ridley notes, quote, they are addicted to corporate welfare. They love regulations that erect barriers to entry to their small competitors. Government regulation championed by major corporations is far more likely to significantly hurt their smaller rivals. Politically connected big corporations are fully aware that these harmful regulations will help to wipe out their competition. And that's the plan. You see, they can afford to institute some of these regulations. They can afford to, to do the things like, um, you know, increased minimum wage. They can afford some of this stuff. But the small business, the little mom and pop or whatever, they can't. They can't keep up with these regulations and all the expenditures that come with them. So, they go out of business, and guess who's left? It's the big corporation. Big corporations are often hostile to free enterprise. The late Nobel Prize-winning economist Milton Friedman once wrote, business corporations in general are not defenders of free enterprise. On the contrary, they are one of the chief sources of danger, unquote. You see, in, in this big government era, it's become easier for businesses to profit through the, the halls of Congress rather than the marketplace. We reject crony capitalism in which the success of a business is determined by their closeness to a government official. What's good for business isn't always good for taxpayers and the cause of freedom, really. Big government is in bed with big business. Let's put a rest to the misconceived notion that pro-big businesses necessarily means free enterprise. Tim Carney writes that big business and big government prop, uh, prosper from the perception that they are rivals instead of partners in plunder. <laughs> the history of big business is one of corporation with big government. Perhaps all of us share common grounds on the issue of corporate welfare. In order to put an end to corporate wel welfare, we must drastically shrink the size and power of government. Business should compete for profits in the marketplace and not in the halls of Congress. So how do we see this being played out currently? What, what, how does it affect 
what's currently going on. Well, in an article by Ben Johnson of the Daily Wire, it, it, it really states it well. It says, when Democrats often brand themselves as champions of the poor and downtrodden, they are morphed in, they have morphed into the party, well, really re- representing the views and financial interests of America's wealthiest elites. Their role as caretakers of the rich is on display in many of their tax spending proposals, which would you know, disproportionately favor those they claim to oppose. Give you an example, taking and take uh, the, re- the repealing of the salt tax limit, for example. The, the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which was signed by President Trump, did not merely lower federal taxes, but it had a provision which squeezed high tax states and, and local governments. Prior to the bill, people could, could deduct 100% of the amount that they paid in state and local taxes. That's the SALT part of it. In, in effect, the federal government made it easier for people to live in blue states and urban areas that had progressive tax rates. But the 2017 law capped the SALT deduction at $10,000, forcing wealthy people to feel the burden of liberal, liberal governance in these blue states and cities. So no longer... Could they just say, oh, yeah, let's just raise taxes, right? I mean, you, sometimes we've, we wonder why people are, would vote for a tax, and especially on something really stupid or something. Well, because they can, they can deduct that. It's not going to really affect them much. Well, Democratic congressmen who, who represent those areas want to eliminate the SALT limitation, a move that would massively favor the top 1% of income earners. The left of center Brookings Institute calculated that 57% of the benefits from repealing the salt cap would benefit the top 1%, a $33,000 cut, and 25% would benefit the 0.1% of people for an average tax cut of nearly $145,000. $145,000. And the mid-class you know, the middle class, kind of you and I, we would save a little less than $27 a year. (laughs) Repealing the salt limit would also worsen racial income disparities because obviously, um, you know, you're, you're going to, you're going to see that like, for instance, just, just 5.6% of black families would see a tax cut compared to the 9.7% of white families. So if you want to play the race card type thing, which these politicians love to do, well, it can be played and it can be shown that by doing away with these tax cuts is racist, right? (laughs) Yet appealing the salt limit remains a top priority for some Democrats, especially in the Northeast who have threatened to derail the $3.5 trillion reconciliation package if it doesn't contain a stop to America's Tony's um, taxpayers. We're going to keep fighting until this sort of, this is part of the bill. It is a, a critical as a road or a bridge or a tunnel, which is why we are going to keep fighting for it until the end, said Representative Josh Gottmier. <laughs> He's a Democrat from New Jersey. Republicans have, have skewed Democrats, uh, you know, devotion to the issue, raising 
or eliminated the salt limit would create tax havens for billionaires against the very tax hikes that they are proposing. And yet it is the Democrats that are coming out saying tax the rich across their backsides, right? As President Joe Biden met behind closed doors with Democrats on Capitol Hill Friday, congressmen negotiated various scenarios to help their most affluent patrons, such as raising the salt limit without abolishing it or enacting a one uh, or two year suspension of the cap. They don't want to do that because it can cost them anywhere between $89 billion and $178 billion of income to the federal government. So here's another current example of how thousands of dollars are being paid to ride a Tesla <laughs> and more handouts even each month. Let, let me get into this. As part of their efforts to reduce carbon emissions, congressional Democrats have proposed greatly expanding subsidies for those who buy electric cars, trucks, and e-bikes. Yet even after taxpayers are forced to pay their portion of the sticker price, a wealth, a wealthy, well, uh, will overwhelming benefit is coming to them. The $15.6 billion giveaway to the rich, which is part of a reconciliation bill, would give up to $12,500 to people who bought electric vehicles. Now, a married couple would have to earn at least $200,000 to owe that much in taxes. So basically, this is another tax break for wealthy lawyers and doctors. The current proposal would compel taxpayers to give these funds to people making up to $400,000 a year, placing the, the, the recipients well within the top 5% of income earners, and to underwrite the cost of an electric car worth up to $55,000 or a truck with a sticker price of up to $74,000. Another provision of the bill would give $750 to people who buy electric bikes, and not only that, but $81 a month to pay for the maintenance and upkeep of those bikes. All of this amounts to an enormous giveaway to the rich. And even if you, again, want to play the race card to rich white men, the top demographic of the 2019 EV owners um, are middle-aged white men earning more than $100,000 annually with a college degree or higher and, and at least one other vehicle in their household. And this was according to Electric Vehicle Council. But the electric vehicle subsidy would also benefit a core Democrat, Democratic contingency, and that is the labor unions. The current Democratic proposal would cap the subsidy at $8,000 for manufacturers who make the cars with non-union workers. But guess what? An extra $4,500 is reserved for union shops. So here's one more current example of how the Democratic Party is the party of the rich and big business. It's in the form of tax write-offs for paying union fat cast salaries. If the Democrats' favoritism to unions were not yet clear, <laughs> the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, Richard Neal, he's a Democrat from Maine, would like to allow union members to deduct $250 a year in union dues from their taxes. Only 10.8% of the workforce is unionized. That is, that's, of course, down considerably 
from 1955, where there was only 33%. And the vast majority of union workers are employed by government agencies. While this tax write-off goes to union members, the dues it offsets flow upward to the well-paid union leaders. I mean, no fewer than 15 employees at the AFL-CIO alone earn enough to rank among the richest 10% of Americans. We're talking about a salary of more than $158,000 a year, according to the Center of Union Facts. The average labor union president earns 96000 actually a little more than 96000 a year, according to ZipRecruiter. Labor unions spend an estimated $1.8 billion to benefit Democrats during the 2020 election cycle. So who's the party of the rich? I mean, that's the question. These policies are part of the reconciliation bill, which remains mired in negotiations. As a result, some of these proposals may be expanded even. Others may be reduced or eliminated, but each represents an aspect of the Democratic Party's ongoing evolution into the party of the rich, the powerful, and the credentialed. A, a, a movement that has continued at a pace since at least 2012. Quote, IRS data shows that Democrats represent 65% of taxpayers with a household income of a half a million dollars or more, while 74% of taxpayers in Republican districts have household incomes of less than 100000 That is from Nathan Skates of Stand for Freedom Center. But the fact that congressional Democrats included these giveaways to the wealthiest in, and most elite Americans and paired them with provisions to raise taxes and fees on people making less than 400000 is revealing enough about the party's true constituency. And corporations really are made up of, of people. I mean, when you get right down to it, these corporations, you know, they're, they're not a monster in themselves. Corporations are just made up of people, and people have a human nature. Our human nature is selfish <laughs> when it gets right down to it. And it isn't until we devote ourselves to a saving relationship with Christ that we work to lessen ourselves and strengthen him in our lives. These corporations are just like those individuals that have lift off, off the government for the past two years without a job, Right. They find it easier to suck off the government than actually work and grow and prosper. The Democratic Party is the perfect place for people like this because the Democratic Party is kind of like the Santa Claus Party. Elect us and we'll give you free stuff. <laughs> it, it is kind of like the movie you may have seen, Napoleon Dynamite. I know it's an older movie now. You may not have seen it. But Napoleon Dynamite was a very popular movie, kind of quirky. And in it, Pedro tries to get elected to school president by promising to elect me and all your wildest dreams will come true. <laughs> the, the Democrats are playing the role of Pedro and telling corporations that if they will work to get them elected, they will eliminate their competition and they'll give them money. 
Now you you may you may totally disagree with me on this. I would definitely love to hear from you. And you can always do that at uncommonsensepodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.